Hi, and welcome to the Tower Hill Church Podcast. This is Marisa from the Tower Hill Production Team. Thanks so much for tuning in. Whenever or wherever you're listening from, we hope this podcast helps you grow in your faith, and we hope you share it with others so that they can grow in their faith too. This week, it's VBS Week here at Tower Hill. This year's theme is Monumental. So today, Pastor Jason is going to explore God's monumental love as we track Joseph's journey and discover that even when everything we touch seems to fall apart, our faith, our hope, and even our flourishing doesn't. So let's listen in right now. So this week, the VBS theme is monumental. And I thought it'd be fun to take the story that they're working on and do a sermon on this so that we all sort of are breathing the same air here this week as we're trying to discover uh, the monumental greatness of God. So uh, before we get started, I do think it's important to mention this. Talk about monumental, of course, in our lives, in the world, in our country, the overturning of Roe versus Wade, uh, of, you know, it, just when you just think another disruption isn't going to happen, something big happens and it creates all of this stirring. Let me just say this. A lot of you have wanted me to say one thing or another about any particular political issue as it comes up. And I never take the bait. And here's why. I don't believe it's my job to tell you what to think about that stuff. I'll let the Holy Spirit convict you on how to vote and who to vote for and all of that. I have my own personal convictions, but if you ever want to know what mine are, we can talk about it, but I'm not going to do it from up here because we're what's called a purple church, right? We have red and blue. We are all over the map and everything in between. And so I envision our church as under a big tent. And as long as we're all focusing on the tent pole of Jesus Christ, we're going to be okay. We're going to have unity, not uniformity, but unity. This is why I don't do that from up here. But if you ever want to know what I think, I'm happy to tell you. Um, And then you want me to stop telling you what I think. But uh, I want to say just a couple things real quick. The first is, no matter what side of the issue you're on, please remember to lead with love. This is what we're called to do as Christians. People who are made in the image of God, who love Jesus, have opposite views than you do. Do it with love. And the second is this. I think we as a church need to continue to do whatever we can to help women and children in need. Um, the Embrace Bra- Grace program that we've done, I think we need to do more of it. We need to step in the gap as a church and love people as best we can. And that's, um, I I couldn't not say something because it is just absolutely the biggest news. So I had to say something. But again, I talk about Jesus. I have the same sermon every week. It's just packaged differently. Put your faith and hope in Jesus Christ. Don't put your faith and hope in the government. Don't put your faith and hope in anything else. He is the only one that's worthy of your faith and hope and it will change your life. Good? All right. (laughs) Thank you. So, monumental. 
Uh, I love this theme. We're going to look at Joseph's story. Although it's funny, as I was remembering Joseph's story, I'm thinking, I bet they're not going to talk about all of Joseph's story in VBS. There's some, let's say, adult themes uh, throughout <laughs> Joseph's story. I was like, whoa, okay, I, I'd love to see how that gets spun. Um, but when we're thinking about monumental, uh, what is a monument? How many of you have done the monument trips? You've gone to like Monument Valley, Utah. You've gone to maybe Mount Rushmore. Or you've seen the, how many of you have done that? Have you done that? Have you seen Mount Rushmore and all? It's pretty cool, right? I recently went to D.C. and saw some of the monuments I hadn't seen before. One of them was the Martin Luther King uh, Memorial, which was just so moving. I think people forget he wasn't just a social activist, right? He was a deep theologian. He had a very piercing, intelligent faith. And when he wrote about theology, he was absolutely brilliant. And a lot of people don't know that side. I didn't know that side of it until I went to seminary and we were reading some of his theological papers. I was like, whoa. Way more than I thought. And then uh, the other thing is, he was a devoted pastor. His life was all about doing God's will. What is a monument? A monument is a tribute, celebrating a pivotal historical figure or event. And so when I went to the Martin Luther King Memorial, I, it's just incredible what the designers, what the artists did with this thing. So it looks like a mountain, and his portion it looks like it was carved from the mountain or it got pulled out from the rock. It's absolutely amazing. I'm staring up at this thing, and, I'm, and then I read the inscription on the side here, the inscription, out of a, mo- a mountain of despair, a stone of hope. And that's a phrase from the I Have a Dream speech. From the mountain of despair, a stone of hope. You know, it's funny. The monument, of course, is about honoring what his life stood for. But you know what it really is? His monument really is a monument to God. When you see Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., you see the love of Jesus Christ. His life was a monument. So when you honor him, you're really honoring the one who is in him, Jesus. And it got me to thinking, how do we all live like that? How do we live a life that is a monument to God? When people look at us, they're like, I see Jesus. I see the love and grace of God in their life. And I think through Joseph's story, we see how he did that well and what the implications are for us to do the same. So you ready? Let's jump in. Here we go. Into Joseph's story. This is the accounts of Jacob's family line. Now, uh, it gets a little tricky here in the next verse. Jacob uh, later becomes known as Israel, and that's where we end up getting the name of the nation of Israel. So when it says Israel, it's Jacob. It's kind of one of those... One of those things, so you don't get confused on, the, on who's involved here. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. So the punk kid, or excuse me, the kid, the 17-year-old, goes to dad, hey, they're not doing it right. They're not doing their jobs, dad. So as you can imagine, that went super well for him. Brothers weren't mad at all. Uh, Anyway, it gets worse. So verse three. 
Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. Is that right? Should, should that be true? I don't know. You, you don't say it. <laughs> loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made an ornate robe for him. Right? So Joseph, the technicolor dream coat. You know what's funny? The, the coat or the robe is just a blip in the story. It's become this whole thing. But it's really like not much of a thing, which is weird. Anyway. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and cannot speak a kind word to him. That never happens today, but it happened back then. Now, Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. Well, what's their problem? Well, guess what the dream was? Joseph dreamt, dreamed that his father and brothers were all bowing down to him. Listen, just a little advice. If you ever have a dream like this, don't tell them. Oh yeah, you're all going to bow to me. What? I, I dreamt it. So naturally, they plotted to kill him. All right, maybe not naturally, but that was... That was their reaction, and they had this whole plan that was figured out, right? So we're going we're gonna to get Joseph alone, we're going to kill him, and then we're going to go tell Dad the ferocious animals ate him. I don't know what kind of plan that is, but they had it figured out. Now they see him coming, and watch what they say to him. This is so, you know, it's like one of those, uh, I'm just going to. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Elsewhere, uh, in, in between the lines, it just, it's such a long story, I had to shorten it a bit, but in between the lines, you go back and read, and it talks about how, like, let's kill him, and then let's see what his dreams are, right? I mean, they're just, like, really nasty about it. Now, the eldest son, Reuben, comes in, and he tries to slow them down a bit, or to talk them off the ledge of killing him. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. Now, they had plans for killing him, right? And they finally back off of those plans, and they say, uh, all right, well, maybe we shouldn't kill him. Oh, isn't that nice of him, right? So, so they come up. So they say, as they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother. Our own flesh and blood, his brothers agreed. Oh, isn't that, isn't that sweet? You're just going to sell him into slavery. Awesome. Good on you. You didn't kill him. So he gets sold into slavery. It, the Ishmaelites take Joseph as a slave to Egypt. He gets sold to someone named Potiphar, who is an Egyptian administrator. Now, this is wild, though. Even though he's in slavery and he's sold to slavery, 
Repeatedly throughout Joseph's story, we keep hearing this. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. It's like every horrible thing. You'll see here in a minute. Everything that happens, the Lord was with Joseph. I think it's important to just take note of that because of how it pertains to our lives. Oftentimes, what happens? We're going through it. We're going through adversity. We're going through suffering. We're going through tragedy. We don't always feel like the Lord is with us. And someone from the outside might look at our lives and say, what happened? The Lord's not with them. Just because it doesn't feel like it doesn't mean the Lord isn't with you. Listen, God never promised us an obstacle-free life. And if anybody in any church has told you that's the case, run in the other direction. You know how I know? Was, was it an obstacle-free life for Jesus? Uh, no. That's not the promise. The promises of God are not that we won't suffer. The promises of God are that God's going to be with us every step of the way. That we can actually flourish even in the worst circumstances. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and lived in the house of his Egyptian master. In fact, he prospered so much, Potiphar loved him. He gave him control. He ended up running the whole household. But then something else happens. Since there are children in the room, let's just say, Potiphar's wife falsely accuses him. She's trying to seduce him, seduce him, but he keeps declining. She falsely accuses him. It's her word against the slaves. He goes to prison. Uh, what is it the kids say? How it started and how it's going, right? Like, it's not going great. Started out great. And here he is in the circumstance, and none of it is really his fault. And when these sort of things happen in our lives, we get hung up on it, on the injustice of it all. And we stew on it. And we compound the hurt with our own anger or our own depression. We make it even worse than that. And yet... All of this happening, verse 21, the Lord was with him. Again, in the prison, he showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. Even in prison, somehow, he is flourishing. This is the thing to remember. The Lord wants you to flourish in spite of your circumstance. He never says there's not going to be any storms. He just says, I'm going to be with you in the storm. And you can experience flourishing even when everything outside of you is not going perfectly. Because that's the great myth, right? That's the thing that everybody's chasing. I got to make this much money. I got to have this kind of lifestyle. And then I'm not going to worry. My relationships have to be like this. And then I'm finally not going to worry. How's that going? Because that doesn't do it. That's not the answer. Those things are great. But it's not the answer. The answer is, how can we flourish no matter what our circumstances, no matter what kind of job, 
What kind of relationships? Is it possible to flourish? The answer is yes. This is what Joseph's story reminds us of. So Joseph, while he's in prison, he earns a reputation for interpreting dreams. And his influence grows. Funny, the very thing he's been gifted with, with dreams, is what he was mocked for by his brothers. I find that to be very true and common. The gifts that God's given us are often the things that people will mock us for. And it's a spiritual thing, right? It's a spiritual thing. Don't let them discourage you. You've been gifted by God in many ways, many ways that you might not even realize. I want to encourage you. If people mock you, it's just a sign that, that they're trying to, something's trying to stop you from using those gifts in the world. Now, you know me. I say this all the time. I'm not the kind of person that thinks, you know, I trip because Satan stuck his leg out. I can trip just fine all on my own. But there is a spiritual reality, right? That there's a darkness that's trying to stifle your light and my light and the Lord's light, right? So he's interpreting dreams, his influence grows, and then a few years later, he has the opportunity to interpret Pharaoh's dreams. So first of all, let's just think about how wild this is. So this Jewish man who's left for dead or sold off to slavery and falsely accused and imprisoned ends up getting an audience with the Pharaoh of all of Egypt the most powerful person in, in the ancient Middle East, ancient Near East. And he's able to successfully predict a famine, and it ends up saving many, many lives because they prepare for it. Now watch this, Genesis 41, 43. He, Pharaoh, had him, Joseph, ride in a chariot as his second-in-command. And people shouted before him, make way. Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Yes, you read that right. Joseph is in charge of Egypt. He's deputy Pharaoh. Pharaoh is the only one higher than him. Who would have imagined that this was remotely possible, especially based on how it started and how it was going? Now here's the wild part, right? He meets his brothers again. Can you imagine? You've seen the movies, right? Make way, make way, and the chariot's coming, and it's the one that they were going to kill, and then they decided to sell into slavery. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine Joseph's reaction? What would your reaction be? We're in church, so you can't really say it. Joseph is reunited with his brothers, and they do end up bowing to him, just like everybody in Egypt did. Guess this dreamer had it right, after all. That's what I would want to say. Or I'd be like, dream, dream, dream. Watch how Joseph handles this moment. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. Here it comes. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And I have to think they're thinking in this moment, all right, this is it. 
This is how we go. Joseph gets his revenge. Watch this, though. And this is, I think, the lesson we can apply to our lives and whatever we're going through. Verse 5, and now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Oh, don't beat yourselves up for selling me into slavery. Seriously? For two years now, there has been famine in the land and for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all Egypt. He goes on to say in chapter 50, he says this, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Here's how I relate to this, and maybe you can too. There's a lot of junk that I've gone through in my life. A lot of it happened to me, and a lot of it was stuff I did to myself. A lot of junk, a lot of dark times. I wouldn't wish those on anybody, and I wouldn't want to do them again. But if you were to ask me, would you change any of that? I don't know that I would say yes. Because I found that going through this journey of life has set me up each step of the way to receive the blessings of God in one way or another. I know that God doesn't cause harm upon me, but God can use anything. God can use anything as a means to an end. God might not cause it, but he allows it because he knows it's going to take me to a place of purpose and faith and flourishing. I just have to decide to let it. It reminds me of Romans 8.28 that says this, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. Basically, Joseph sees his life as a monument to the Lord's favor. Here comes that dreamer. And if you really think about his life, maybe with that lens, you could reinterpret his events as not just tragic, but providential. Here's how. What if Reuben hadn't been around? He wouldn't have lived. He came at just the right time. What if that caravan wasn't passing by? So instead he wasn't stuck in an empty cistern to die. He got a chance to continue to live. Even in Potiphar's house, he experienced Potiphar's favor. Even in the midst of slavery. In prison, what if he didn't have the opportunity from the prison warden to do dream interpretation? And then that would have prevented him from Pharaoh's influence, which would have ended many, many lives. God's purpose to save came through all of that. The Lord was with him. So how does this all shake out in our lives, really? This is the part of every message that I like to call, so what? Like, that's great. That's interesting. Ooh, I never thought about it that way. 
But what does it mean for me? I think it can mean a couple of things. Let me offer a couple. The first is, in your life and in my life, God uses everything and can redeem anything. Even the things that you think are not redeemable. You want to bet? Do you know, I, I, I hear stories all the time about how People who are addicted to alcohol and drugs are often reached by people who once were addicted to alcohol and drugs. God leveraged that experience, that pain, that darkness to speak into the life of somebody else. Or this is true with grief. If you ever had to deal with grief and somebody who's been through grief is able to speak to you through that pain, it's redeemed. Whatever it is in our lives, it's funny, in God's army, there are only wounded soldiers allowed because it's in our woundedness that we can love. The depth of our love grows, the deeper our hurts. I think God can redeem anything and use everything. Whatever in your life has come to this point, the Lord can use it going forward. I promise you. The second is again, God doesn't stop all the storms. He stops some. For sure, he stops some. But he promises to be with us through the storms. That's why, like, you've met people, they're going through a really rough time, and yet they might be sad or they might be hurt, but you sense a deep peace in them or even a joy in the back, playing like background music. And it's not because they're crazy, or it's not because they're not allowing the depth of the moment to hit them. It's because they're tight with God. It does something to you. It changes you. God's with you in the storm. Because let's face it, there's always a storm. So we just say, I'm going to wait until everything's storm-free. That ain't happening. And then third, our lives can always be monumental. When people look at us, they can see the love, mercy, and grace of God. That whatever happens in our lives, people can look at us and really say, wow, look what God did through them. But he gave you a, I'm gonna close with this example of somebody who lived this way. It's somebody you may not have ever heard of. His name's Horatio Spafford. Lived from 1828 to 1888. He was a lifelong Christian, a very successful Chicago lawyer, and he had a, a bit of a real estate empire in Chicago. Great man of faith, uh, had a wonder, wonderful family by all accounts. He had a son and three daughters. He had it all. And then things started to unravel for him. He lost his son to an illness, and then the great Chicago fire happened. He lost all of his real estate holdings. And then his wife and daughters, they were looking to take a vacation to Europe, and he had some business dealings he had to finish with, and he sent them early ahead by ship, and the ship was lost at sea. All three daughters perished, but his wife survived. Yet, in all of that, he wrote arguably one of the most famous hymns that have been sung in churches ever since. Here's how the first verse goes. When peace like a river attendeth my way when sorrows like sea billows roll whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say 
It is well. It is well with my soul. That's a monumental life. But no matter what happens, we can celebrate the greatness of God. Amen. Amen.